0: The following program is presented by the National Committee on United States-China Relations, www.ncuscr.org.
1: Good morning, everybody. Uh, It's Steve. Um, First, let me thank the Star Foundation for funding these calls. The events of the last several weeks, or one could say the last several months, have been extraordinary in the relationship. So... um, We looked for somebody who could really talk about all of it, and uh, we went to uh, Jeff Bader. Jeff, in fact, I was thinking of of kind of the, um, we call Warren Buffett the Oracle of Omaha, and now that Jeff has moved to Venice, I was thinking of what was a word with a V where I could call Jeff something, the something of Venice, the sage of Venice or something. So I call on everybody on this call to come up with some, uh name that we'll call Jeff going forward because as kind of the relationship becomes more turbulent than it's been in many many years we really need to turn to people uh like Jeff who've had experience in the relationship for decades and decades. Uh you've got his bio but I should add that he was really there at the uh, at the conception. He was working for when I first got to know him he was working for Richard Holbrook uh, in the State Department in the 70s, when we were working to establish diplomatic relations with China, so he has seen it all, uh, has participated in lots of it, and has had an extraordinary impact on the U.S.-China relations relationship. So we are thrilled to have Jeff talk about kind of the events of the last several weeks. I'll ask some questions. We've got a great audience today. I noticed we we, we, uh, we got a huge turnout despite the fact that we sent out this notice on Sunday afternoon. Uh, but, Jeff, let me turn it over to the Sage of Venice and have you make some opening comments, and then I'll ask some questions.
0: Thanks very much, Steve. Um, I guess that's better than being the Merchants of Venice, which is the only uh,
1: historical <laughs> I reference I can think rejected.
0: of. It's got a certain amount of baggage, though. Know. Um, uh, Steve told me some of the names of folks who are on the call, a lot of old friends and a lot of people who I have uh, profound respect for. Um, I thought I would talk a little bit uh, at the outset. I really want to get more into the questions and answers and discussion. But I thought I'd talk a little bit about the, the uh, recommendation to the NPC that they uh, uh, terminate presidential, vice presidential term limits. Uh, just touch on tariffs and the Leova visit. Um, maybe say something just to frame the U.S.-China relationship at the outset, but not really get into depth on that until we get into questions and answers. Okay, first on the the presidential, vice presidential term limits decision. Um, Presumably this means at least a third presidential term for Xi beginning in 2023 and as General Secretary beginning in 2022, it's hard to believe that they will divide the two positions. I think that the uh, media talk of an emperor for life is wildly premature. Uh, I would be very su- surprised if he turns out to have a, uh, a life term. Uh, uh, I think that under- under- underestimates the dynamism uh, and turbulence of Chinese society. Um, perhaps he can get to a third term, but beyond that, I think it's highly speculative. Uh, this decision, essentially upends Deng Xiaoping's uh, system of checks and balances with Chinese characteristics which uh, imposed a uh, norm of age limits on party uh, party leaders and term limits on top state leaders. It was uh, a way of creating a rotation of leadership uh, in a party dictatorship, a system that's essentially unknown in other dictatorships. And there was a response by Deng and other party elders to the uh, abuses of the Mao period. Uh, so that has now been essentially thrown out. Uh, the, the old system, or the current system, uh, has also served to force other party and state figures to retire below the top uh, leaders. Uh, um, and on the grounds of this, the leaders Uh, left their positions, the low-ranking people couldn't claim the privilege of staying on. Uh, I would say that's all in jeopardy now. This one decision about two positions uh, really throws the whole thing up in the air about um, uh, age limits at all levels. So what does this mean for transition of leadership? Um, Transitions in China have been basically at least outwardly smooth since uh, Jiang Zemin took over. Uh, I think we cannot assume going forward that they will be smooth. Uh, why did she do this? Is this a sign of strength or of weakness? I, I, I'd be interested in what the views of others are. To me, it's a sign of strength and weakness. It's a sign of strength in the sense that I don't think that um, uh, Hu Jintao uh, or Jiang Zemin uh, could have pulled this off. Uh, so, uh, I think all of the positions that Xi Jinping has accumulated, leadership of basically every organization that's been created, every institution that's been created over the last few years, uh, plus the anti-corruption campaign, uh, has strengthened him. But uh, I also don't think that this is the kind of thing that would have been saleable to uh, other party leaders if there weren't concerns about instability, uh, concerns about uh, about over-leveraging in the economy, concerns about the state of economic reform, uh, concerns about corruption. Impact on relations with the United States? uh, I would say not so much. I think this decision by Xi Jinping uh, and the others who supported it is about domestic issues and about power. It's not about foreign policy. I don't think that he needs the extra term uh, in order to uh, conduct a strong foreign policy. So i I don't see that as uh, a major factor. I guess the only other thing I'd say in framing it is it would be very interesting to see in the next nine days what happens to Wang Qishan and uh, Liu He. Uh, I think those are the two most important individuals in terms of relations with the United States. And the the buzz that Wang Qishan is going to be the vice president has been increasing uh, over the last six months, I guess, Now, most people would consider it more likely than than not, particularly with this having been named to a position in the NPC. Um, And there seems to be a a fairly broad consensus that the Oho, having been named to the Politburo, is going to be named vice-premier and will be the main economic advisor to to Xi Jinping. Uh, Both of these individuals, of course, have uh, tremendous experience in global markets, uh, Indian uh, market systems. Um, uh, one, one could perhaps come up with a, uh, an optimistic scenario that says with the, the new setup that if these two individuals have a particularly strong voice, that it may give a certain boost to uh, economic uh, reform, Chinese style. But we haven't seen many signs of that in the last five years, so I think that would be... Uh, an unlikely result but one can always hope uh, just touching on the other two issues I mentioned at the outset uh, tariffs um, the decision on steel and aluminum there's no surprise there everyone knew Trump was going to do this it's just a question of, of timing um, he's intended to do this all along uh, I think that some people in the bureaucracy uh, for what, whatever the bureaucracy matters nowadays did not want to see this in this particular sequence because this is really kind of the, I don't know, the PSATs compared to the, the SATs coming up, which is the 301, the 301 on technology transfer and IPR. That's that's the big game uh, in terms of China. Um, and at least it, within the bureaucracy, there was a feeling that since that was the big game, it would be better to try to maintain some semblance of international solidarity. Uh, with the Japanese and the EU and others uh, before that decision was made but having reversed the sequence as it were um, it's hard to see how there will be much uh, international support for what uh, the U.S. may do on 301 I think going could be very much of a unilateral effort even though the issues are of deep concern to the Europeans and the Japanese so uh, there really is a sequencing problem here as you all know the, the effect of these tariffs on China uh, will be trivial uh, since Chinese uh, exports to the US in both categories are small China already under I don't know, something like 150 anti-dumping and countervailing duty uh, uh, rulings uh, affecting much of the steel and aluminum sector so there's not much left uh, the Lioho visit um, I, uh, you know, he clearly hoped, number one, to find a counterpart on the U.S. side. Uh, uh, when Young Judge came a couple of weeks earlier, his pitch was, why don't you hold off on the 301 uh, and um, we can resume the comprehensive economic dialogue and through consultations we can address your concerns. That was, of course, a non-starter. Um, I gather President Trump said to... To uh, uh, Yang that we, we wouldn 't do that, but the Chinese could send someone, uh, and so they sent Leo Hu. He. Uh, he had meetings with business community uh, and with think tankers in addition to his government meetings, and um, you know he does he made a good pitch, but i don 't think it, it affected the uh, uh, the trajectory that the administration is on the three hundred one isn 't technically due until the decision isn't due till August but people I speak to I'm sure people you speak to say it's coming much uh, much sooner than that uh, and finally let me just, just offer a framing thought on the overall uh, relationship uh, about which I am more concerned than I've been in a while I think there are three three elements to it that uh, are uh, deeply troubling Number one is on the political security side. We have a, I'm just looking at it from the U.S. perspective for a moment, from the Chinese perspective there are other things to say, but we have a national security strategy and a national defense strategy document, which pretty clearly identify China uh, as a, uh, a rival, as a competitor, uh, uh, as a security threat, uh, they don't, say very much about areas of potential cooperation so that's a a rebalancing of the relationship uh, uh, in a way that's different from predecessors Uh, number two was the report by USTR to Congress on Chinese economic practices Uh, the bottom line of that was that the uh, China is basically an economic uh, an international economic predator uh, that its behavior is predatory and its size uh, An impact on the international economy uh, is of a different order than other countries in the past uh, who have ba- behaved in predatory fashion, uh, and that the decision to admit them to the World Trade Organization back in 2001 on the terms that uh, prevailed uh, was a mistake, um, the implication being that this has to be uh, turned around in some fashion. So those are the two basic government documents but the third area at least as much concern to me is um, the so-called Chinese influence campaign uh, in the United States we don't really have a, a US government document on that yet we have a tremendous amount of punditry and expert commentary in the media uh, about the threat that is supposedly to be posed by um, Chinese influence campaign in the United States whether it's in universities or think tanks or with uh, uh, business. Um, what we did have was uh, FBI Director Chris Ray's comments in response to a question in a hearing from, I guess, Senator Rubio saying that uh, these Chinese uh, Chinese uh, unofficial presence on campuses and elsewhere uh, raised uh, lots of difficult questions for counterintelligence and that he viewed it as a Uh, comprehensive threat I think sooner or later we'll see a a government document on that so you've got sort of three areas uh, where the U.S. government seems to be going in a different direction than it's gone in the past. Now of course there are ample reasons uh, uh, in terms of Chinese behavior uh, for some of these areas. There's certainly real issues in all cases and perhaps we can talk about that but, uh, but I think that the U.S. government statements we've seen so far uh, lack nuance and lack subtlety. And the, um, it's been frustrating to me as someone who's been involved in the relationship for, I don't know, 40 years to see this sort of mad rush by commentators to throw out everything that's been done in the last 40 years as uh, based on illusions uh, uh, about some mythical convergence between the U.S. Uh, and China which, frankly, none of us uh, subscribe to. Uh, I'm not sure how this became conventional wisdom that there was a a convergence was the foundation of U.S. policy. It never was, Uh, but that's now the uh, conventional wisdom in the media. I think I'll stop there and uh, open it up to Steve and wherever you want to take it, Steve.